Okay, well, good morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome to H2O. I'm so glad to be here. Uh, as you can probably tell, my voice sounds a little bit different. Um, getting over a little cold and lost my voice at Man Makers uh, this weekend. It was a lot of fun, as you can tell. Uh, but yeah, it was really good. So, but with that, um, we'll get through this morning. Really excited um, to be with here, here with you, preaching God's word. Um, to you. Also, we want to welcome everyone on campus joining us in. We're live streaming into them today um, on campus, and so that's really good. Excited to be here with you guys, too. And so with that, I'm going to pray, and then we'll get started. And so, God, thank you for this chance to gather together as a church family. I pray, Father, that you just be with us. Give us clarity in this message about where you are calling us in our lives, and help us see through Moses's story um, how you continue to draw people out of sin and into your righteousness, God. And so just pray for this message, pray it would speak to us, um, and be with me and guide us this morning. We pray all this in your mighty name. Amen. All right, so last week, uh, like Brian said, we're in the midst of this Exodus series, and last week um, he opened up with talking about chapter one in Exodus, and the big theme of chapter one was all about God's plans versus our plans. And so Brian spent a lot of time talking about God's providence and how sometimes it doesn't totally make sense what God is doing, but God is in every situation. And so specifically for the Exodus story, um, the people of Israel, they were in slavery. They were in bondage to the Egyptians. If you've ever seen the movies like Ten Commandments or Prince of Egypt or any of those type of movies like that, you probably have some familiarity with the story. And so God brings about a plan, and the key component of this plan is this guy Moses. And so Moses is a guy that we're going to get to know a little more this week as well. And we're going to really look at his story specifically in the event of the burning bush and how God calls him. And so we're going to learn today, um, ultimately, God's calling and how God can call each and every one of us into his mission. And so the principles today will help us maybe determine how God might be using you and how God might continue to direct you in your story as well. And so um, with that, um, this idea of calling is, is a big piece. I talk to tons of students, tons of people in our church all the time about this idea of like, what am I supposed to do with my life? What's my story? What, what's, you know, what should I do when I grow up and all, and all these different things? And this is a common thing that most people struggle with. And I came across in my research this article from the Huffington Post. And um, this, this girl, she was writing about this. And she said this, and I'll read what she said. It was really interesting. She said, um, I've asked this question to myself often enough. I'm sure that at some point, um, everyone has asked this question too. What am I supposed to do? What is my destiny? How will I find it? What's, what career path should I take? Should I get married? Should I have children? Should I move to Italy? Why is it that we have this underlying feeling that there is one right choice? One choice that's itching to be discovered and realized waiting for the light to be shed. And she continues and says, if you're anything like me, you grew up being told you could do anything you want. And this certainly is a nice um, thing to be told. It's motivating, supportive. It opens up your mind to possibilities, but it also opens you up to indecision and doubt. If I can choose from anything, um, what if I choose wrong? What if that's not what I'm meant to do? 
Like there's one solitary thing each of us is meant for, and if we diverge from the path, we've wasted our life on the meaningless. Now, can anyone else relate to that? Can anyone else relate to that type of feeling? Yeah, pretty much most of us can feel that sense of tension and indecision on what we're doing with our lives. And I don't know if you're like me, and she kind of goes on in the article, and she talks about how, you know, growing up when you were in kindergarten, the teacher would ask you, what do you want to do with your life? It was like easy. We would say, I want to be a cop. I want to be a nurse. I want to be, you know, um, president of the United States, whatever it is. For me, I was like, I want to be Spider-Man. That's obvious. Like, come on. I have the passion. I have the gifts. I just want to do it. I can climb walls, whatever. My mom didn't like it that I climbed on walls. But, um, but I, I was like, I want to be Spider-Man. But as you know, as you grow up, that decision becomes less and less clear. It becomes harder, um, and, and it, you get more tension in that decision. And I remember in high school, I was sitting down eating dinner um, at the table with my family, and my dad asked me, he said, just out of nowhere, hey, Joe, you know, what do you want to do with your life? And I was like, I don't know, maybe finish dinner first. I don't know, you know, I don't know what I want to do. And, and, and this, I had, this is something that I think we all really can relate to, I think especially when we're experiencing different transitions in our lives. You know, growing, again, growing up in America, everything's kind of laid out for you, especially in your first 20 years. You, you know, go to school, you play sports, you go to middle school, you go to high school, you, you know, find a college. And I've come across many conversations over the years with people, and they've, you know, reached that point of graduation, and they're about to graduate, and they realize, oh, my God, what am I supposed to do? What, where am I supposed to move? Where am I supposed to go? What kind of job should I get? This, this is what I call the great void, the great unknown. And everyone experiences it, not just college kids. You know, maybe your kids are moving out of the house. Maybe you're entering retirement soon. This is a great void, and it, it brings a lot of indecision. Also, um, people can fall into um, feeling dissatisfied with decisions they've already made. You know, um, surveys show that on average, in an average lifetime, Americans will change jobs seven times, seven times. Um, I talk to many people who are struggling with their major, and they're saying, yep, this is my third major. I've tried it. I'm not really satisfied with it. I'm moving, I don't know what to do with my life. Maybe it's pursuing a relationship, you know, or getting moving to the next step of your relationship, whether it's getting married, having kids, um, whatever that is. And some of us, too, might be feeling past feelings of bad decisions we made. Maybe we feel regret. Maybe we feel like, man, was I missing out on something? You know, midlife crisis is um, very common, especially in our nation, and people feeling like, man, I've totally missed out. And people, you know, can cope with midlife crisis differently. Example, Brian Wiles got a motorcycle. I don't know if you knew that. You know, he's coping with it. You know, I'm just kidding. I'm just giving him a hard time, but he's fine. Um, but indecision or even feelings of regret can cause this tension in us. And, you know, along with that, too, maybe God has put something on your heart. Maybe you have a passion to do something. Maybe you're, like, pretty sure, like, okay, God, I'm ready to do that. I want to do it. And maybe the opportunities aren't in front of you to actually do that. And so you feel stress. You're like, come on, God, you know, I want to reach those people. I want to help those people. I want to do that. What's going on here? And we just have to wait and it's frustrating. And one thing as I was studying this and I was researching this, um, I came across this book, and it was titled, What Am I Supposed to Do With My Life? 
very easy title. It came right up on the Google search. Um, this guy, Johnny Moore, he's a pastor, and he was talking about this topic of indecision and figuring out your calling. And he said this, he said, you know, often people think that God's will for your life is something like very hard, that it's almost like a moving target. You know, sometimes you hit it, sometimes you don't. But he says, that's not really true. In fact, if you look at the Bible, um, it has a very clear path about God's will and, and, and determining his will for your life. And it's this, he said this, he said, God's will is more about who you are than where you are or what you're doing. If you want to write that down, he said, God's will is more about who you are than where you are and what you're doing. And he quotes from uh, Paul in First uh, Thessalonians 4.3. Uh, Paul says, For this is God's will for you, that you be sanctified. He said, this is God's will, that you be sanctified. What sanctified means is that you're growing more and more like Jesus. And so, and so kind of what the author like really hits on and what he's trying to make clear is that God's will for your life is that you grow to be more like Jesus. That is the call of every follower of Jesus is to be more like him. Now from there, if we're being more like Christ and sharing that with others, that is fulfilling God's calling. And from there, God can take you wherever he wants to take you. And we just need to be faithful to that calling. Because God will lead you. God will direct you. And, and if we're waiting on opportunities, you know, we just need to be patient and trust. And while we're waiting, continue to work to be more and more like Jesus in our current state and taking opportunities and knowing that God is going to take us wherever we go. and He's going to help us grow. And I think what's true, too, is that if we're seeking after God, he, as we're seeking after God, that is, he's going to direct clear opportunities to you. He's going to give you clear direction. And throughout the Bible, God has led people through this question of what am I supposed to do with my life? And many times he would speak quietly or he would speak very loudly. And today's example is an example where God spoke very loudly. Um, he, again, he spoke to Moses at the burning bush and he met, you know, he almost met Moses face to face. And he spoke to him. He said, Moses, this is the plan for you. Go take it. Go for it. And so from this message, we're going to learn principles on what it means to follow God's calling and, and what God might be calling you to in your life as you're seeking to live like him. But again, the big idea, the thing I want you, there's one thing you can walk away with today. It's this, um, is our relationship with God is primary in understanding our calling. So I'll say it again. It says, our relationship with God is primary in understanding our calling. <clears throat> so the series is all about, our big, our big theme for the series is that God draws us out to draw us in. And so we believe that God is drawing you out and wherever you're at and drawing you into relationship with him. And so in this passage, we're going to hopefully understand our calling in, in three ways. We're going to understand it through knowing God, understanding ourselves, and then stepping out in faith. And understanding these, you know, principles will help us in understanding how God may be leading you in your life. And we'll, we'll dissect what each of those mean, too. So, um, But with that, if you have your Bibles or your phones or whatever it is uh, that you use to um, read the passage with us this morning, turn to um, get them out, and we'll turn to Exodus chapter 3, and we'll be 
in Exodus 3 and 4 throughout the message this morning. So you can turn there. So, um, like I said, this, this message is the burning bush. Um, before we dive into the actual readings, we just wanted to do a little recap to kind of help you see where we've been so we can understand where we are so we can then know where we're going. Um, so again, in chapter one, Brian talked last week how the people of Israel, they were in slavery and in bondage. And God brought about a plan of bringing this guy Moses, who was a Hebrew, and his mother hid Moses in the Nile River um, because she didn't want Moses to be killed because the Pharaoh at the time was trying to do population control and killing off all the babies of the Hebrews. And so she tried hiding her baby. And then what ended up happening is an Egyptian did find Moses. It was Pharaoh's daughter. And she felt so much pity for the baby. She said, I'm going to bring this baby in as my own. And so she raised Moses as it, the Bible says Moses was raised as a prince of Egypt. And so he was taken, he was taken out of bondage and brought into, uh, you know, well, the best family on the planet at the time as far as privileges go, um, being Pharaoh's grandson. Um, and so fast forwarding, Moses has grown up. And um, chapter two starts with saying that Moses went out among his people, the Hebrews, that he was um, raised as a prince of Egypt, but he was among them. And the Bible says that Moses felt the people's burdens. It broke his heart. He saw his, his fellow Hebrews in slavery, and it really made him angry. And Moses is in an interesting spot. He's kind of in between two worlds. He's not fully an Egyptian, and he's not fully a Hebrew. And so he, I'm sure he always felt like an outcast, but for some reason he really felt like some pain for his people. And so one particular day, he's walking, and he sees that an Egyptian is beating up a Hebrew. And so he gets angry and frustrated, and he wants to do something. So he ends up, the Bible talks about how he ends up killing the Egyptian, and he murders him. And in order to cover up the scene, he looked around, saw no one saw it, and he buried the Egyptian in secret. And so he thought no one saw him, but the next day he goes out, and he sees two um, Israelites fighting. And he goes up to them and says, hey, you know, you guys are brothers. Why are you fighting? And um, one of the men said, who are you to be Lord over us? Are you going to kill one of us like you did the Egyptian? And Moses at this point was like, oh, man, they figured me out. Someone saw it. And so Moses knew correctly that if the Pharaoh knew that Moses had killed an Egyptian, that he would be um, killed. And so he escaped Egypt. He um, went to the desert, um, modern-day Saudi Arabia. He, he ended up going out in the wilderness in exile. And in the wilderness, he ended up um, getting married. He um, found a job working for his uh, father-in-law as a shepherd. And um, he found a place to basically hide and live the rest of his life. And at the end of chapter 2, um, God comes to the story, and he says, and it says that God saw the burden of the people in Egypt, and it really broke his heart. And it said that God wanted to do something, and God had a plan, and he decided that this is the moment that we're going to free these people out of bondage, out of slavery. And I think the message that we can take from this is that even though we don't see it, God is moving. 
God sees the burdens of his people and he wants to do something about it. And so we take it now into chapter three. And so at the beginning of chapter three, it says many years have passed and, um, uh, and it says about 40 years have passed since Moses left Egypt. So Moses was probably about 80 years old. He's comfortable. He is a shepherd in the desert. He probably assumes that, you know, and think, think like Moses for a second. He probably assumes that he is going to die in the desert. He's going to um, take over again the family business, and this is going to be his life. But when he least expects it, God shows up and visits him. So um, in chapter 3, what happens is um, all of a sudden Moses is walking on the side of a mountain, and he sees this tree burning. He sees it on fire, but it's not consumed. And this is the burning bush, that the fire is around it and on it, but it's not actually consuming the bush. And so this is really strange for Moses. And so he's like, I'm going to go see what this is about. And so, again, in verse 3, he, he, this is what he says. He says, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And then the Lord called to him, saying, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. God said, take your sandals. The place you are standing is holy ground. And God continues, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the um, Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. <clears throat> and behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So this is, this is incredible. God visits him through the burning bush, and he says, Moses, I have a plan. We're going to set these people free, and I'm going to use you. And what's amazing here is, you know, again, like I said, God is always moving, even when we don't expect it, even when we don't know it. But along with that, too, God invites us to join him. God invites us to join him and invites us in relationship with him. And so in this passage, God lays out the plan for Moses. But Moses has some objections, and the next part of the passage, there's a dialogue between God and Moses, where Moses brings up an objection, and God answers it. And so the first thing that Moses says in verse 11, if you want to continue reading along with me, it says this, um, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he, God, said, um, I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So to paraphrase, Moses says to God, God, who am I? And Moses says, or God says, it doesn't matter who you are. I will be with you. 
this is crazy. You know, Moses says, you know, who am I? You know, this is a big philosophical question. We're always trying to figure out who we are and our identity culture and trying to determine, you know, who am I? And God, just like, it doesn't matter. I'm with you. The meaning we need to search for is our relationship with God. And it's not saying that trying to figure out who you are, God isn't saying, obviously, that isn't completely um, not important. He's just saying that what's most important, and he's trying to help Moses understand that what's most important is that God is with Moses. That's the thing that's most important. And their dialogue continues in verse 13. And it says, Then Moses said to God, If I am to come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, the, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent, uh, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So to summarize all that, Moses says to God, well, okay, God, who are you? And God says, I am the one true God. What God says to Moses in this passage, he says, I am who I am. This is the Hebrew word, Aoi, which, uh, where we get the word Yahweh, the name of God. And this Aoi word means, I will be. And what, what Yahweh and the, what this word means and what God's name means is that God is sufficient in his, his self and in his character. He doesn't need anyone else to accomplish his mission. He's the creator. He's the one true God. Amongst all these gods, you know, gods of Egypt, God is saying that I am the one true powerful God, Moses. You can trust me. And, and I think in the first thing we need to know in this passage, as Moses is learning about his calling, the first thing we need to understand in our calling is we need to know who God is. So we need to know that God is powerful. We need to know that God is creator. He's the one true God. And that if we have faith in following him, we can see God work in our lives and the lives of others as well. And ultimately, God is calling Moses into a relationship with him to know the one true God. God, throughout the Bible and throughout history, has constantly been showing himself to us. He's making himself known and making himself known to others. Um, and God says, I will be with you. This is amazing. And, you know, I think many people have different interpretations or experiences on who God is. Some people look at God as a cosmic genie, and they think, oh, man, I can just go to God anytime, and he's just going to give me whatever I want. That's just the way it is. You know, and if he doesn't, then there's something wrong with him. Or some people view God like a judge where, you know, he's looking down upon us on our sin and, and, and ashamed of the way we're living. Or some people, maybe they don't care about God, and they don't want to think about it because it might upset them. And for me, you know, and I think the Bible's clear that it talks about that God is Father, that God cares for us. You know, um, we used to do this uh, evangelism training um, called Solarium. A couple of you might know about it. Um, it Solarium is basically um, this 
this conversation that you would have with people and it has multiple cards um, and on the cards there's photos and what you would do is you'd, you'd have a conversation with someone you'd say hey can I can I share this solarium with you and they would pick some cards and you'd ask them questions about their life you'd say hey pick a pick a photo that represents where you're at currently and it's really cool it's really creative because then they look at these photographs and they would kind of dissect their life and you'd ask them you know where are you at spiritually and how do you view God and at one point throughout the conversation um, I would or one of us you know um, would just kind of say well can I share with you how I would view God and the card I would choose, um, it was this photo, and I think I got it up here, um, this photo of uh, giant hands. Um, and there's a bird, um, a little baby bird in these giant hands. And what I would say, and what I, how I view God is, I view God again as father, but a powerful father that really cares for you, that I'm like this little bird in the hands of this strong and mighty king, this mighty God, and he cares for us. And, and I, I think that's so true. That's, that's how God is. He's our father, and he's powerful. He's our creator as well, and so we can trust him. And so wherever God may be calling you to, we need to know he's the one true God, and we can trust him, and he will lead us. And we're ultimately this little bird. We're weak, but we need him because he is strong. And so moving along, um, God shows Moses his power. So skipping down um, to chapter 4, you can just flip the page to chapter 4. Um, God shows Moses his strength and his power. <clears throat> and here's Moses' next objection. He says, um, but behold, and this is Moses, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. Then the Lord said to him, what's in your hand? Moses says, a staff. And God said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it, like you would do. If a stake, you know, a stick became a snake, I'd run from it too, no doubt about that. Um, and then God says, uh, put your hand out and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Verse 6, again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. He put his hand inside his cloak. And when he had put it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he had took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. God says in verse 8, if they will not believe you or listen to the first sign they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. So again, to summarize, Moses says, um, God, they're not going to believe me. And God says, watch this. He performs these three signs. And again, he turns um, Moses' staff into a snake. He turns his hand leprous. And he says, if these don't work, then you can take some water on the Nile, and then it'll turn into blood. And this is interesting because God is showing Moses, commentaries talk about this, how God is showing Moses his power. 
He's showing Moses that he is God over all creatures. Snakes were the most scariest of um, creatures, especially in the desert in Egypt during this time. If you got a bit by one, obviously you would die. God is saying that he is over all human and diseases. The leprosy was the most dangerous disease of that time. If you got it, it was a death sentence. And then finally, uh, over the elements, he can turn water into blood. And especially the Nile, it was seen as life to the Egyptians. And so this shows God, God's power that he is over everything. He is over life and he is over death as well. And even after all of this, all of this affirmation that God gives Moses, he's still nervous. He's still afraid. And he continues in verse 10 of chapter 4. <clears throat> and it says this, But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since, since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who has made him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Moses says, God, I can't speak. And God says, I will be your mouth. This is a powerful, powerful passage, powerful moment too. Moses clearly has insecurities as a leader. You know, so, yeah, some commentators think maybe he couldn't speak. Maybe he had a speech impediment. Maybe he got sick at Man Makers the weekend before. I don't know. Um, but he felt like he couldn't speak. And this is very common in leadership. You know, often we think, man, I don't know if I have the abilities to communicate. I know I felt this. I'm sure you have as well. The abilities to speak. But God's like, I'll be your mouth. I'll speak through you. I will give you the power to do that. Speaking, you know, speaking is very scary. You know, even uh, the comedian Jerry Seinfeld, he talks about public speaking and how scary it is for people. He said that, you know, out of all the fears on the earth, the number one fear is public speaking. Number two is death. Number two. So he was saying, man, that, that means if you're at a funeral, you'd rather be in the casket than giving the message of the eulogy. You know, <laughs> like speaking is scary, but but God's reminding Moses that I will give you the words to say. I will help you. <clears throat> and so I think what we can learn through this is our second point, is that understanding our calling, we need to understand who we are. In order to understand our calling, we need to understand who we are. <clears throat> and what this basically means is that God is saying, hey, it doesn't matter if your relationship with me is sound, I'm going to give you the tools and help you. And you know, it doesn't mean we shouldn't look at our strengths and weaknesses. Ultimately, if you're looking specifically at Moses' strengths, um, he had a lot of strengths. He, you know, was raised as a, prince, as a prince of Egypt, so he could, he knew how to lead a nation. He knew how to lead people. Um, he was also stuck in the desert for 40 years, so he knew how to survive. He was man versus wild. Like, he knew how to survive in the exact environment the people of Israel were about to enter into. And so he had some strengths. Um, he was also passionate, um, but along with that, too, he had some inadequacies. His passion led to murdering someone. Um, he also felt like he couldn't speak. But ultimately, God is saying this is a, rem a reminder to Moses that how much he needed God. And the, the greatest need of Moses was God. Um, and because it, it was a big challenge, and specifically, if you look at the challenge itself, 
Moses is going, he's just a shepherd, and he's going to the most powerful man on the planet. He's going to the most powerful nation, and he's saying to him, hey, Pharaoh, you think you're God, but there's actually a greater God, and he's stronger than you, and he's more powerful than you. And guess what? He's telling you right now, you need to let his people go. There's going to be trouble. Now, think about this. This would be like you going to the President of the United States and saying, Mr. President, I represent the state of Ohio, and we no longer want to be in the United States. We are sick of being under the oppression of being in the same nation as Michigan. We want to get out. We are sick of it. Yes, we want to get out. Uh, and what would happen? The president would think you're either crazy or if you had some power, you know, he, it would be an act of war. And this is what Moses is walking into. And in order for all of this to work, God had to show up. Moses had to fully trust in him. And so often in our own understanding of who we are, sometimes we can fall into over-trusting ourselves where we can be, you know, prideful and thinking we're awesome, or we can feel like we're completely worthless and we can't be used at all and feeling shame. And here's the truth. You know, God can work through you. Like, yes, on one extent, you know, God doesn't really need you. He could find anyone else to accomplish his mission, his goals. I know that's hard to hear, but it's true. God is powerful enough to accomplish anything. But what he wants to do is he wants to invite you. He invites you into mission with him because he loves you and because he ultimately wants to show his glory through you. And who shows this better than the Apostle Paul? In Second uh, Corinthians, the Apostle Paul talks about how he kept going to Jesus and saying, Jesus, take away this weakness in me. And, it, and the Apostle Paul says in Second Corinthians, he said that Jesus said to him that my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect, perfect in weakness. And Paul continues, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so the power of Christ may rest upon me. So what this is saying here is that ultimately what's most important is God's glory. And he can work through you. He can show his glory through you and work through your weakness because God's glory is made powerful in our weakness. He loves to take weak people and show his glory. So no matter your background, no matter your experiences, no matter how much shame you feel about mistakes you've made, God can use you. That's what's amazing about this. He is powerful enough to even overcome you and me, which is amazing. And with any task, he will give you the tools to accomplish it. He's powerful. And so, continuing on in verse 13, Moses makes his final plea. In verse 13, um, Moses says, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then God says, um, it says, Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is not Aaron your brother, the Levite? Um, Oh, is there not Aaron, your brother, Levite? That makes more sense. Um, I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be your mouth with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall be to you the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. 
and take in your hand this staff in which you shall do the signs. So again, here's what happens. God, uh, Moses says, um, I don't want to go. And God says, you're going and I'm sending your brother with you. Isn't that like the, cool, you know, the greatest thing a younger brother wants to hear? Your big brother's going with you. He's going to take care of you. It's all right. You're going to be fine. And I think what's interesting about this dialogue, um, you know, whenever the movies show the burning bush, it, it, it always depicts it as God comes to Moses and says, here's the plan. And it always depicts it as Moses all of a sudden gaining this courage and saying, yes, I will go. I'm, gonna, I'm ready. Take me, God. I've been waiting the whole you know, 20 minutes of this movie to go on this journey. You know, I'm ready. I'm ready for this. And this isn't what happens. Moses is very afraid because he's human and because this actually happened. Moses is very hesitant about stepping into this. But what God is showing him is this requires a step of faith. This requires trust in him. And so he got up and he was going and he moved his family, got his whole family ready to go to Egypt, meeting his brother and not knowing truly in his heart what awaited him other than God's plan and God's message to him. And this is true to us in our final point today. As in order to understanding our calling, we need to step out in faith. So in order to understand our calling, we need to step out, friends, in faith. The author of Hebrews says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. If we feel like God is calling us and we have his word and his direction, we need to trust it and we need to go. And we need to have faith that he's going to continue to work in our lives. Um, even though we're, it's okay if we're nervous, if we're afraid, that's, that's okay. You're human. But what we need to do is we need to put our trust in the Lord and trust that he's going to get us through whatever it is he might be calling you to. You know, I can relate to this a lot. Just if you, maybe you know my story. When I, you know, um, was in college, I was very involved with H2O, and it became clear um, to me and to others um, and family members that um, I, I wanted to come on staff with this church and, and be a part of what we're doing with planning college churches. And, um, and, and, I, and it was clear, um, but it was a scary reality because I knew I was going to graduate, raise, you know, financial support, and not know what would happen. Um, it was definitely a test of faith. Um, and it was so cool how God, A, and I know not just for me, but many other staff in H2O have seen God provide for us and allow us to be a part of an amazing family. Um, you guys, you guys are awesome. And I, and I love working with you each and every day. Um, and I know, and I, I've seen God's plan and provision by just continuing to trust in him each and every step of the way. So I don't know about your story specifically. I don't know, you know, what God might be calling you to, but I know if you step out in faith and if you're hearing like God's calling you to do something, trust him, have faith in him. He's ready and willing to provide. Even though you don't know the full circumstances of the story, Moses wasn't reading Exodus and seeing the whole story. He was living it, which is crazy. But he was, he was just, he was fearful and he was like, okay, I'm going to go because I, I, I've seen God, I've experienced God and I need to go. And when we experience God, we need to go. And so 
kind of to apply this, um, I have this tool that I kind of want to share with you guys um, that I think can help with understanding maybe your calling and how God might be leading you as well. And there's kind of three elements to this tool um, going through quickly. But basically, um, if you're feeling like God's calling you, and it's at the bottom, so you can write along. Um, first thing is observe. And what that means is observe your life. Look at the opportunities in front of you. Look at your passions. You know, if you have a passion on your heart to do something, I don't think that was by accident. I think God put that there to give you a fire to maybe do something. You know, um, Michael W. Smith, uh, he's a worship um, um, guy. Um, I don't know, I lost my words there, but yeah, he's a good, he's a worship leader. And um, he talks about, I was listening to an interview with him, and he talked about how he loves music, and he said that often he'll go to God, and he'll say, God, I think I want to continue doing this, but if not, if I'm not supposed to do this anymore, change my passions, change my desires, and let me do something else. And I think that's like so true. Like I, I think God puts passions on your heart for a reason, and so if they're there, press into that. And the way we do that is through point two, asking. And asking is involves prayer. We need to go to God in prayer, take some time away, and really seek God's direction, see if God is, you know, saying anything else, and really pray. Read God's word. This is God's word to us, is through the Bible. You need to read God's word to know his character and who he is and how he's leading you. And then I would recommend talking to others, talking to a mentor, talking to a pastor or someone on staff, a group leader, and, and, and family members, and talking to important people in your life that love God, and they can help direct you. And then finally, move. Do something. And a little advice, you know, if whatever you're stepping into doesn't pull you into sin or further away from God, it's probably okay. So give it a shot. And obviously, we shouldn't just, like, make willy-nilly crazy decisions just for the sake of making decisions. You need to use wisdom. That's why, you know, observe your life, talk to others, seek prayer. But if you're feeling like everything is leading in that direction, go ahead and go for it. You know, and I, I think, you know, knowing that as we have faith, Jesus will use us and guide us, this is a really powerful story. And I don't know, you know, maybe you're seeking a burning bush moment. You know, there's times where, yes, God speaks like this, but there's times, well, most of the time, he doesn't. And I think regardless of either situation, as we can see from Moses' life, we need faith because it's scary. And so we need to trust that God is leading us and guiding us. And, and here's the thing, guys. Again, the most important thing is your relationship with him. And as we close, I want you to know that, that number one, here's the most important thing, that Jesus has already accepted the greatest calling for you. That great calling of following him and growing more like him, the only way we could do that is because of Jesus. And so Jesus already fulfilled by taking on sin, taking on shame, he's already led you out of Exodus. And so if Jesus has set us free from bondage and sin and leading us into his light, we can trust that wherever we go, he can use you. He can use us and he'll give you the tools to do it. And so with that, guys, let's pray and let's seek the Lord and worship as the band comes up. I'll pray and remember.